0: Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, you can go to wfa.church, go to live stream and go to outline and you can also find the outline and all the scriptures there. Why do we pray? This morning I want to present to you four reasons. First of all, that we might know God. That should be our first and primary reason to pray is to know God, the person of Jesus Christ. The second thing we want to talk about today is that we might know his plan. We all want to know God's plan for our life, but unless we pray, unless we search the word, we'll just be out there like blind men trying to find our way. Thirdly, I want to talk about that we pray so we know God's provision. Sometimes we do not know what is available to us, Because we haven't talked to our creator. We haven't asked the Lord what he has for us. The fourth thing I want to talk about today is that we pray that we might know God's power. We need the power of God in our lives. We need the power of God to live victoriously. Amen? I mean, prayer is an important, vital element of any Christian's life. I don't know about you, but when I get weak... When I become ineffective, I can always connect the dots back to a poor prayer life. If you want to be victorious, if you want to be a conqueror, if you want to be all that God intends for you to be in 2022, it is going to be directly related to your prayer life. It is your lifeline, friends. You need to take time to pray. Pray. But you also need to be in that attitude of prayer that the video talked about. Like the air that we breathe, we should be constantly, whether we're driving, whether we're shopping, whether we're even talking with someone, we should have that attitude of openness to the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 1, this is such a rich, rich portion of Scripture. Beginning with verse number 17, reading today from the New International Version, I keep asking, now this is Paul, he is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, comma, why? so that you may know him better. So often we view God as this cosmic Santa Claus, and we just go to God because we need something. He's like he's our sugar daddy in the sky. Well, God does have provision for us, often not the provision that we think we need, but God's always working for us. But here Paul makes it very clear. The primary reason we pray is that we might have revelation. That we might have wisdom to know God better. Verse 18 says, I pray. Paul's praying. I encourage you to pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. We all need hope, friends. We all, how do we find that hope? It's through prayer. It's through this enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. I was doing a seminar at our network conference here a few years ago about longevity in ministry. Somebody asked me, what would you do differently looking back the last 35 years? And I said, I would probably spend less time preparing on a Sunday morning in my office And more time in the auditorium praying for the spirit to move on a Sunday morning. Because it doesn't really matter who's teaching, how eloquent they are. It's the spirit of God that reveals to us the things of God. Is your heart open? Man, if your heart is open, you will receive no matter who's preaching. No matter how great of a job they do or how much they stumble over themselves. Because it is the Spirit of God who gives us the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And that's the provision part. And then verse 19 talks about the power part and his uh, incomparably great power for us who believe. You can't compare it to anything a great power. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Can you imagine the power and the strength to take a dead body, to breathe new life into it, to have that body resurrected? That is the kind of power that dwells in us that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, (laughs) earthly governments, power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only to the present age, but to the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be heard over everything for the church, to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills every way. So verse 16 here, Paul tells us that he prays for us, for the church, as we are praying for our church through the 31 days of prayer, He tells us how he prays, specifically for wisdom and revelation, that we might be enlightened, that we might know him. And he's praying that the church in Ephesus, and I want us to pray that the church in Wenatchee, specifically Wenatchee First Assembly, will come to this new understanding and new knowledge of what God wants for us. Man, as we look at Paul's prayer for the believer, I want us to take this as a model of prayer for us. It's a model that June Acton has used years and years and years praying for me. I don't know how many cards I've gotten from June that says, Pastor, here's what I'm praying for you about. Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to take that and I want us to embrace it as a church as we begin this new year. Why pray? so that we might know the person of God. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation for the very specific reason, it says, that we might know him better. Not that we can be great prophets. Not that we can be these great wise people that give counsel to others. It says... That we might know him better. The psalmist says, to know him, to know him is the cry of my heart. If that's not the cry of your heart, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to make it the cry of your heart. Man, it is time to quit just going through all the motions. And it's time for us to press in and be intimate with God this year. And that starts through prayer. Prayer. You know, the atheist would say, well, there's no God for us to know. The agnostic would say to us, well, if there is a God, we really can't know him. But Paul reminds us who are following Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Savior, that God is real and we can know him in a personal way, not just know about him. There's a lot of people that know about God. But know him in a personal way. And Paul says, as you get to know God, you'll learn, first of all, that he's gracious. He's gracious in all he does. It's not what Paul calls him here, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to understand that God was so gracious that while we were yet sinners, while we were in rebellion, when we willfully turned our back on God and we succumbed to that temptation of sin that we knew was wrong, it was in that state that God's love is so gracious that he extends this invitation that says, confess your sins. They'll be forgiven. You'll be welcomed into this family of God. And to understand this is to realize how undeserving and how how unworthy we are. And we are on our own, but not through the precious blood of Jesus. Paul said it differently in Titus. If you're taking notes, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. All people. It was the grace of God that sent Jesus to die on the cross. That we might have salvation. It's God's great love for the world. But it's also an expression of his grace. His love and grace go together. He's a gracious God. David in Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate. Some of you need to hear that this morning. The Lord is compassionate. He's gracious. He is slow to anger. And he abounds in love. Praise the Lord. Paul describes God as not only being gracious, but he says, as you have that revelation of who God is, you'll discover he's not only gracious, but he's glorious. Notice that word glory. We read it in verse 17. He's not just the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the father of glory. Now, glory speaks of dignity. Glory speaks of majesty. Glorious Father, in my mind, generates this idea of greatness, of the exaltation of God. There's none above him. And it's not just New Testament. We see that in the Old Testament. As we read through the Bible last year in Leviticus chapter 9, we saw that Moses and Aaron blessed the people after returning from entering the temple. And the Bible says the glory of the Lord appeared to all people. Not just the priests, not just Moses and Aaron, but the glory of God appeared to all people. And they saw it, and the Bible says they were overwhelmed with his majesty and the greatness of God. When's the last time you were overwhelmed by the greatness of God? Man, the next clear night, just... Bundle up, go outside and look at the stars, look at the universe. Realize the greatness and the glory of God. It's all around us. He is glorious in all he is and all he does. There's no one else that compares to our God, friends. That's why David said, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering. It's not talking about finances here. He wants our heart. He wants us to allow him to be the Lord of our lives. That's the offering he's asking for today. Give unto the Lord the glory do his name. Bring him an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord and the beauty of his holiness. That's 1 Chronicles chapter 16. It's hard to imagine, really. It's hard for us to Wrap our mind around the glory of God. I read an illustration this week about a little boy who was drawing a picture. He had a paper and he had pencils and, and colors. And his dad said, what are you doing, son? He goes, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the dad said, well, son, no one, no one knows what God looks like. And the little boy looked up and he said, well, they will after I'm done. We'll never understand the depths of the glory of God. Paul prays, though, that the believers in Ephesus might know that God is gracious, he's glorious. We need to pray that as a church, but we need to pray it for us as individuals. Some of us have lost the awe and wonder of God. May God give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know who God really is. Secondly, we need to pray so we know God's plan. What does God have planned for us in 2022? Oh, you might have resolutions. You might have goals. But are they yours or are they God's? Is it something you can check off of a list? Or is it something God has birthed in your spirit that you want to know God better? That you want to be used of God in a a greater way? What is God's plan? Well, in verse number 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us. I want you to notice that word called. In your version, it might say calling. It's an important word for us as believers. Paul often said, you have been called. Now, it's not talking about the five-fold ministries of apostles and prophets and pastors, teachers, evangelists. That's a different, that's a vocational calling. You've been adopted into the family of God because you've been called. Think about that for a moment. The word literally speaks of an invitation. Anytime I think of invitation, I see Jesus with his arms wide open, saying, come unto me. Come unto me. We have an invitation. It's a calling. It carries the idea that God has a plan for our life, something that you have been called to do. Now, we know in a general sort of way, we are called to give glory to God in our thoughts, in our deeds, in everything we do. We are to give glory to God. But there's also that invitation, where can God use you in the body? Where is your calling? I mean, the Bible describes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, the believers as a holy calling. We're members of a holy nation. We're called by his grace, Galatians chapter 1 says. Not because of our good looks, not because of our performance. It's it's not up to us. It's not a roll of the dice. It's God predestined, and he called you. He invited you. Where did he call you from? First Peter says he called you out of darkness, out of sin, out of rebellion, into his marvelous light where we can walk in freedom. Praise the Lord. He has called us, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, into his eternal glory. <laughs> it's not a momentary thing. It's not a thing that just lasts for a minute. It is an eternal glory. From the start to the finish, the beginning to the end, from earth to heaven, from the moment that you personally accept Christ as your Savior until you reach your heavenly home. God's pursuing you. He's inviting you. There's a calling. It's a comprehensive calling. It's a confident calling. I love that word hope. Hope. You know, hope is not just optimism. Sometimes we get that mixed up. We think, oh, well, we have a power of, you know, of our, of our thinking, but positive thinking or something. Hope is much more than an optimistic wish. It speaks of something that is expected. Expected. What are you expecting in 2022? I've said it so often, but, you know, the the lens you look through is going to affect what 2020 is going to bring to you. Are you looking through the lens of hope, expecting God to be there, expecting God to comfort you, expecting God to lead you, expecting God to provide for you? Man, that's a, a gift. God's given us that hope, that expectation. First Peter one three says, God, in his great mercy, has given us a new birth. Okay, so we have a new birth. We think of that as salvation. What's the new birth into? 1 Peter 1.3, it doesn't say a new birth into an eternal home, although that is part of it. But Paul says... We've been given this new birth into a living hope that starts immediately when you accept Christ as your Savior. You have hope. We need to be people of hope. The Bible says that we need to be hope bearers to those in our family, those in our neighborhood, those in our workplace, to always offer that word of hope. God has called us. He's invited us to be part of this wonderful plan that's why we pray. We pray to know him. We pray that we will know his plan. Thirdly, we pray that we will know his provision. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul prays that we might know more about this hope that he's called us to. And then it goes on to say, through his glorious inheritance... I want you to think about that for a moment. Where do we get our hope? God provides it through this inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. See, the spiritual inheritance that Paul's talking about here is what God gave to every single one of us when we surrendered to Christ when we ask him into our heart, when we became saved or born again, he gave us an inheritance. Hallelujah. And Paul prayed that the church in Ephesus, and I pray that the church in Wenatchee will understand what that really means. I mean, what what does that mean we have an inheritance? Man, too often we just think about heaven in some vague kind of way. Oh, someday we'll get what God wants us to have and we'll walk on streets of gold and all of that. But friends, his hope, his inheritance, his revision begins right now. No matter who's in office, no matter how the economy is doing, no matter if you have a job or don't have a job, God is walking with us. That's why we need to be people of prayer. Not to get things but to know him to know what his plan for our life is and to know the provision that he has given us i don't know about you but i'll be really honest so often uh when i pray it's because of things i don't have (laughs) lord give me wisdom lord give me finances lord give me favor You see, I've got these things I don't have, and so I ask God for them. Nothing wrong with that. But this morning, I want us to understand that Paul is saying we need to pray so that we understand what we do have. We have so much more than we can even imagine. But we don't always open up the promise book to see what we have. And we're too busy watching Sports Center or those Hallmark movies. Instead of seeking God, saying, God, what do you have for me? One of my favorite theologians, his name is Warren Worsby. And he has a series of books where he's gone through all the epistles, and they're called B-books. So, like, Be Free and be be rich is is the book that he uh, he wrote about ephesians be rich and in that book he tells a story I just read it this week of hetty green Hetty Green has gone down in history as america's greatest miser hetty Green she died in nineteen sixteen hetty green left an estate that was worth over $100 million. Now, think about $100 million, but think about what that would have meant in 1916. Hetty Green, this is documented, ate cold oatmeal in the morning because it cost too much to heat it up. She was a miser. Talk about a penny pincher her son suffered a leg amputation because she delayed so long in looking for a free medical clinic that his condition became incurable and they had to amputate his leg. She was wealthy beyond our imagination, yet she chose to live like a pauper. In fact, in the book Be Rich by Warren Worsby, he says she was so foolish that she hastened her own death while arguing about the value of drinking skimmed milk. <laughs> Friends, sometimes as Christians, we're like Hetty. We don't understand the provision that God has for us. We're just barely getting by. And Paul wants us to understand we have a glorious inheritance. We have unlimited Wisdom, unlimited strength, unlimited wealth at our disposal. Man, the magnitude of our inheritance is hard for us to understand. I mean, it says riches of his glory, but that doesn't really cut it, does it? What does that mean? But remember that the source is God himself. I can't imagine, you know, that kind of financial wealth. But even if you're Warren Buffett or, or Bill Gates or whoever, man, your financial wealth is below the poverty level in compared in comparison to the riches of the glory of God that's part of our spiritual inheritance. The psalmist spoke of it this way in Psalm chapter 50, Psalm 50:10. 50, Every forest is his. Even the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows every bird. He knows every mountain. He knows every insect in the field. He owns it all. We know God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns the thousand hills that the cattle are upon. Now don't be thinking of dollars here. Don't be thinking of those kind of riches Because we're talking about spiritual blessings. But those are riches that money will never buy. You can write a $25,000 check today, but you can't have peace. Yeah, you can't buy peace. But man, when you come into alignment with God, when you surrender to Him, when you yield to Him, you can have the peace that passeth all understanding. You can walk through the fire, you can walk through the trial. You can walk through bankruptcy. You can walk through painful experiences and still have joy, still have peace, and still have hope because his riches are spiritual blessings. And in those, we see the marvel of our inheritance. It says his inheritance in the saints. Our inheritance is actually his inheritance. See, it's not what... He has, but rather who he is. We have all the blessings because he is the blesser. It's not about the gifts. It's about the giver. And that's why Paul teaches us here the first prayer is to know him, is to know him, to know his plan, to know his provision. There's a well-told story about the painting of a son that hung above the mantle of a very wealthy father's home. It was the painting of a son who had died in a war. And the home was filled with all sorts of valuable and priceless pieces of art. But to that old man, (laughs) that painting of the son held the most value. Well, the father died, and this whole large estate was put up for auction. And the art world was absolutely ecstatic because of all the valuable pieces of art. They couldn't wait to get their hands on the works of some of that art that had not been available up to that point. And they gathered, which was going to be this largest art auction in quite some time. And to their surprise, the auctioneer began by auctioning off this painting of the sun. And he said, who will give me an opening bid for the painting of this sun? And the room was silent. Everyone was looking at all the other valuable pieces of art. He says, will someone open up the bid with $100? And minutes passed. no one spoke. And from the back of the room, someone says, well, I don't really care about that painting. I want to get on to the good stuff, but I'll give you $20 for it. Auctioneers said, anybody go higher than $20? Nobody. All these art collectors. He did the gavel thing and sold $20. Then he looked up, he says, this auction is over. They were stunned. All these art collectors, they just couldn't believe it. There was this quiet in the room. And someone spoke up, what do you mean it's over? What about all these valuable paintings? There's millions of dollars of art here. And the auctioneer said, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. $10. Took millions of dollars worth of art because of the value of the son. Now that's just a story, but I hope it will help you understand. It's not about our inheritance. (laughs) It's about walking in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus, that we might know his inheritance. And finally, Paul says, that we might know his power. I want to reread verses 19 and 20. It says... His great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all authority, above all power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present, but also to the one to come. We need to understand and know God's power in our lives. See, our spiritual weakness in the face of trials and temptation is really the result of not knowing his power. I kind of messed up this week, and I I succumbed to a temptation that I just, I don't know, a weak moment, and I just felt so bad about it. I think, you know what? And I think, why didn't I at that moment call upon? The power that God has given me that power is in me and I thought well if I would have maybe been more in tune with God at that moment a man of prayer I would have understood the extent of God's power in our life the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us now it's not our power it's God's power But the truth is, Paul's here has enlisted a a lot of different uh, words from the Greek. We know that the New Testament primarily was written in Greek, some Aramaic, but he was trying to get the point across of what he really meant by God's power. And he used this word that we get, our English word dynamite, dynamo. That's what he, the word he was using here in Greek. And what it really means is a working as an energy. So it's not necessarily something that just comes upon you instantaneously. It is something that is working in your heart that you have stored up. But it's like a battery. If you haven't recharged the battery, it's not going to do you any good. And some of us in our time of weakness find out that we have a dead battery. Say, where's God's power? I need God's power. Where is it? Our battery's dead. Because we haven't developed the disciplines of prayer, of being in the word, and of obedience. We glorify God through our obedience. And he not only talked about this working of the power within us. He uses the word mighty. See, Paul began to stack cinnamon, not cinnamon, <laughs> synonyms, cinnamons, cinnamons, I mean synonyms, synonyms upon cinnamons. No, no, you're gonna you're gonna remember this part of the sermon, I guarantee it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for humbling me in front of all my friends. <laughs> A synonym. He stacks synonyms upon synonyms in describing God's power. He doesn't just say it's it's powerful, it's working. He says it's mighty. Because God's power is so great, he can only speak the word and a universe is created. I mean, he spoke the universe into existence. Think about that. He can part the waters. He did it for the Israelites. The Red Sea parted and they walked on dry land. He can shut the mouths of lions. If you are in the lion's den, you can sleep peacefully, knowing the power of God can shut the mouths of those lions. We know that God made the sun stand still. He directed ravens to feed his people. He caused walls to tumble like he did uh, uh, the walls of Jericho. And the list goes on and on and on. And when Paul speaks of the exceeding greatness of his power, he's describing a power that is really immeasurable. It not only surpasses our ability to express it, it surpasses our ability to comprehend it. Paul speaks of this immeasurable power to us who believe. And I want to end by reading a a scripture that's one of my favorites. I've quoted it, or maybe half quoted it, many, many times through the years. It's Ephesians 3.20. And I say I've only half quoted it because you've heard me many times say, God is able to do immeasurably more all that we can ask or imagine. Amen? That's true. Problem is, I, that's only half the verse. But as I was studying about the power of God that's within us, I thought, wow, it says God is able to do far above what I can ask or imagine, comma, according to his power. Well, that's good. But then it goes on to say, that is at work within us. That power doesn't come down from the sky like a lightning bolt. That power is implanted in us through the Holy Spirit at salvation. The power that's able to far above all that we can ask or imagine dwells in us. It's like that old camp song, I've got the power. (laughs) It's not our power, but we are carrying that power. That's why the Bible says it's the believers that can lay their hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Because wherever you are, if your battery is charged, if you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, if you are a person who is walking in an attitude of prayer, if you have searched the Scriptures and fed your heart, then that power is accessible to you. Man, we need God's power. I need God's power. Man, I'm weak. (laughs) I'm frail. I'm a human. I stumble. I need God's power. We all need God's power because it's ineffective in yourself. And you ask anyone that's in a 12-step program, and they'll tell you (laughs) one of the very early steps is, hey, I can't Fix this myself. I have no control over this. There's got to be a higher power involved. There's got to be God. And for us that know Christ, we know that that power comes through that relationship with God's Son Jesus. We need God's power. There's a missionary years ago by the name of Mary Slesser. I think she was uh, CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance, but she was a missionary in Africa for years. They were amazed. At what they saw. She was a very weak, humble, small woman who was able to mold these savage chiefs to her will. And one of the chiefs explained to someone who was asking, How come these big, powerful tribal chiefs seem to just bow down to this weak old lady that's here with this? thing called the bible and he says you have evidently forgotten to take into account the woman's god not by might not by power we're going to have victory in 2022 individually and as a church not by might not by power but by the spirit of god it's god's power in us it's residence in us. And the God of power wants to be himself in us. Think about that. Just as we came through the Advent and Christmas season, God humbled himself. He became flesh in the baby Jesus. And now, after Jesus ascended, They sent the Holy Spirit, God and Jesus, sent the Holy Spirit to abide in us. So now we carry the hope and the power of God. I encourage you, friends, (laughs) make prayer a priority this year. As a church, for the next 31 days, we've given you a a guide. But if you want to know God, if you want to know God's plan for your life, if you want God's provision for your life, and if you want God's power for your life, you're going to have to learn the spiritual discipline of prayer. And that's why this morning, as the worship team comes we're just going to open up these altars and I'm going to invite you to a time of prayer. And maybe you'll want to sit where you're at. Maybe you want to kneel where you're at. But I think it would be good for us to begin this year seeking the presence of God in our life. I'm often asked by people for resources and there's two books I want to recommend to you if, if you really want to dive deep this year. One is by one of my favorite authors, R.T. Kendall, taught many, many times from uh, Dr. Kendall's messages. This is called Did You Think to Pray? <laughs> How to Listen and Talk to God Every Day. It's a great resource. The other was given to me by my pastor uh, a few years ago. And it's a wonderful book by Timothy Keller who's really one of the great theologians of our day. It's called Prayer, Experiencing and Intimacy with God. My pastor gave this to me about four or five years ago. I read it, and I'm committed to read it again in January. But here's two really good recommendations if you want to dig deeper. But you can read all you want, you can learn all you want, and still not walk in God's provision and power. It comes through practice it comes through experience it's not enough to be hearers of the word people we have to be doers of the word and that's why i'm going to invite you right now to stand we're going to open up these altars would you stand with me now and i just want to encourage you right now to spend the next four or five minutes at least maybe some of you will want to stay 15 or 20 that's fine but we want to end by giving you an opportunity to practice what we've learned from God's Word. That we might be people of prayer, that we might know God, that we might know His plan, that we might know the spiritual inheritance, and that we might experience His power. Don't you love the Lord? Don't you love Jesus? He gives us all these things. Would you come? Would you come find a place of prayer? Let's sing it to the Lord. Jesus, we love you.